You are listening to the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki, two high school head coaches looking to help others spread their passion for the game of basketball. Tune in for episodes about anything basketball related, on the court, off the court, and anything in between. Today's episode, we are uh, excited to have uh, Mike, Mike Greenman on uh, of V-Reps, uh, also uh, played at Williams College, uh, graduate assistant at Northwestern, uh, worked the NBA Combine, done a lot of, lot of awesome things, uh, but now he's currently at V-Reps. Uh, Coach, how you doing tonight? Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, having a great night. Um, I'm ready to get going. I'm really happy to be here. So, Coach, you, you obviously you've had many different roles in the game. You know, you obviously as a player, as a coach, kind of in the creation side now, as a grad assistant. So kind of take us through just 60 seconds or so of your basketball journey from, you know, grammar school, high school to college to, you know, professional and beyond. Yeah. Um, so I'm from a basketball family. Uh, my brother played at Princeton. My dad played at Bucknell. So growing up was was basketball for me. Uh, my brother is actually currently the assistant coach at American University. Um, but then in high school, I went to a pretty sports dominant high school. It was a um, independent school, Catholic school, St. Augustine Prep in New Jersey. Won a state championship when I was there um, as a sophomore um, and had a really great like team and career there, which was awesome. Then, I, I, like you said, went to Williams College and um, went to two final fours, went to a national championship game, lost on a buzzer beater, um, started off four years. I was there five because I had a season ending injury, um, finished top 10 in, in assists when I was there and still am um, for the school history and just had a really awesome career. Like I, I owe it all to my coaches, my teammates and stuff, but I really just enjoyed playing there, being there. Williams was just a great experience. Um, and even before I got there, I was, I played on the Maccabi USA basketball team, um, which is kind of like the Jewish Olympics is the best way I can describe it to people who may not know, um, and played for team USA in the U18 division, um, when I was going into college and won a gold medal. So, um, that experience was really, really cool too. Um, and then after college, I would have loved to play overseas, but I, I broke my foot, um, had that season ending injury that was almost a career ending injury. And then my senior year, I dislocated my other ankle, um, missed 10 games, came back and, and played in the last four. But um, after that, it was just too much, too much for me personally to try and come back and, and get into playing overseas. So I decided to get into coaching and graduate assistant, I thought was the perfect next step for me because it allowed me to kind of keep with the playing and being on the court and working guys out and, and helping out in that regard and playing with the guys, you know, outside of practice, whatnot, and still being a player, but getting to see it from the other side where I'm in coaches meetings and, you know, I'm cutting up film, I'm getting ready for scouts, doing everything like that. So as far as kind of the double-edged, like hybrid of my way into coaching, it was, it was awesome. And Northwestern was, was so, so much fun to be at. Coach, he gave us the humble version the first time we talked to him. He didn't mention the gold medal <laughs> and the, uh, I like, I, 
if I just give it to you, if I just say it all at one time, you know, there's nothing more you can, you got to keep giving a little bit of peace <laughs> at a time. So, you know, keep, it, you, you keep, keep something in back. your back pocket, right? Exactly. Exactly. So at, at Williams, you're, you're a three-time captain. Um, you know, what do you think the reasons were that you were chosen as a captain and, and what are the, and just in general, what are the traits that make up a good captain of a team? Obviously you guys were super successful, played at a very high level. Um, so what are those things, maybe not just you, but your, you and your other teammates, because obviously there's, there's a whole group of guys that are working together that made you guys good leaders and good, good uh, successful captains. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that, uh, well, being a point guard leads a lot of people, you know, when you're a point guard and you have to be the floor general or whatever you want to call it, a lot of that leads to a lot of characteristics out of a good captain, you know, making sure everyone's in the right place, making sure everyone's doing what they're supposed to be doing on the court. Um, and I think a lot of that was me. I was a point guard my whole entire life. I'm five, eight, and I've been small my whole life. So I've always been a point guard. Um, and that's that I've always had that role, um, growing up. So I kind of learned a lot throughout middle school, high school, and in that area and felt confident enough to be a three-time captain. with the experience that I've had, the a couple of the main things as far as being a good captain is one being true to yourself. And I, I know that's like kind of cliche and unobvious, but I think a lot of people, once they get the term captain, they feel like, all right, now I have to be a captain. And instead it's like, no, you were chosen as captain, at least at Williams, uh, the players pick who's going to be the captain. So I knew that all of my teammates chose me as captain and wanted me to be their captain. And they were choosing me, not what I would be if I was a captain, you know, and that's something that some people doesn't really vibe well with them if they're like, all right, now I have to be this because I was here and now because I'm captain, I have to be something different. And that's not the case. You were chosen captain because of who you are, just be who you are. Um, and another thing is just being transparent. And I think those two go hand in hand. Like if, if you're being yourself and you're being a captain, for instance, I was never a screamer or someone who's going to get in your face, you know, grab your jersey and try to snap you out of it. I, I had other methods of trying to get players motivated or trying to get your teammates on the same page. And that's just because that's my personality. My per- If I was to go out there and start yelling during practice, like, hey, we need to pick it up. We need to be better. No one would, you know, obviously it's when it's necessary, you have to do it. But to do that all the time, just because you feel like, oh, I'm a captain, I should yell at these guys to like go harder. Then they're not going to take you seriously. So finding whatever, you know, role you fit in as far as a captain, you could be a captain who sits down and talks individually with each you know, player. And, and that's kind of how you get your message across or you're the captain who, you know, you brings the energy and is that guy and that's your personality and that's what you're going to bring to the table. But just being transparent with who you are and being true to yourself, um, I think will allow you to allow your teammates to trust you. And then you're going to make mistakes, right? Like every captain, everyone makes mistakes, no matter what you are. And as a captain, if you're making mistakes while being true to yourself and being transparent with everyone around you, they're going to understand that you had about the team's best interest at heart or you had your your focus was trying to do good whereas if you're not doing those things and then you make mistakes it's like well yeah you were being someone else you were not looking out for us and that's when you start to lose you know the chemistry the camaraderie that kind of stuff so um i know a little bit of cliche but i think that they're really really important so you also mentioned you came from a basketball family how do you think that helped you 
uh, kind of take flight in that role as, as, as a leader and a captain, obviously having more experiences to lean on and, and things like that. But how do you think that helped you? Yeah, I mean, it helped me exponentially. I went to my every single one of my brother's basketball games, even in college, as many as I could go to. And just having those conversations with my dad, you know, he was he played with Buck Nellander, Jimmy, Jimmy V. Um, and then uh, he was a graduate assistant there for a couple of years. So he, he knew he knew basketball as well as anyone. So being able to watch my brother's game with my dad in my ear talking about what's happening and what's going on and, and learning and growing up in that in that just has it made me love the game and it made me, uh, you know, know as much as I know right now. And, and I couldn't be more thankful for that. But having those experiences and just like as a two-year-old up until now, like being able to bounce ideas off of someone who really knows what they're talking about. My brother, who's helped me as much as anyone get to where I'm at. Um, it's, it's been extremely helpful and, and I've been able to see what works and what doesn't work, you know, as my brother is, was at Princeton, he was a captain as well. And, and having to be able to have conversations with him while I was a captain, like, hey, what did you do in this situation? And being able to have that conversation um, helped me through a lot of things that some people may not have the guidance to, to get through and they might have to do it on their own. Wait a minute, time out. The lead was buried. He said dad played for Jim Valvano and then kept going. I know so, another one. Another that, that, another that, that was really cool. That uh, I, like I, that I had to research all of a sudden. I didn't even know Jim Valvano was at Bucknell. So that I'm was sure yeah. there's I'm sure there's all kinds of stories about that too. I'm sure you get all kinds of great stories. Yeah, I, I there are great stories that I can't tell on my dad's behalf, but <laughs> yeah. um, the one thing that's cool is my dad still has the handwritten letter that he wrote him when he was recruiting him about that's, going to Bucknell, really cool. which is really, really cool. That's amazing. So let's kind of get into, you know, we, we've talked to so many coaches that are, you know, Division One, Division Two, Division Three, JUCO, high school, all these levels, but we have yet to talk to somebody that was a GA. So let's get into that GA role at Northwestern. Obviously for Todd and I, that's very local, but I was interested. We were interested. Take us through the day, the typical day in the life of a GA. You know, there's so many coaches out there that want to get their start in coaching and many do as a GA. So kind of take us through that day. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, it's a very busy day, a uh, very long day, but it's, it, you learn a lot. So basically you wake up and you have to be the first one in the office. Uh, make sure that everything is together. So for game days or days um, leading up to a game, like say you have a scout or something, uh, you might have to print out the scouting report. Say you're playing Iowa and they played Maryland the night before. You got to make sure the box scores are on the coach's desk uh, that morning, you know, make sure the film's on their, on their computer before they get in so that when they get in, they're ready to go. They can see who played well last night. If there's an injury report or something that happened that game, let them know what happened just in case they couldn't watch it that night or whatever um, and have that ready for them first thing in the morning. Then usually you spend your first hour, two hours cutting film. Um, usually, the way that Northwestern did it is we had three graduate assistants and three assistant coaches. So each assistant had their own scout and you as a graduate assistant would be responsible for that scout. So you would cut up the film for those games, um, usually five or six games total for that one scout and put it on the coach's computer as you go so that they can see what offenses they were running, 
what defense, how, what defense they're running, that kind of stuff. And obviously the coaches do their own scout, but this is just to make it easier for them to watch. They don't just have to watch the whole game. They can look at certain clips if they want to, they can look at, you know, all the offensive clips, all the defensive clips, however the coach likes to do it, you know, work with them. And then before practice, say practice at two o'clock. So right around lunchtime or you grab a snack and then you go right down and guys get there early to get extra shots up. So you got to be there, you know, two hours before practice. Usually players will text you, call you, and you uh, walk down to the gym and just start rebounding, put them through workouts, you know, help them with getting shots up, work on their game, that kind of stuff. Whatever they want to work on that day is you're supposed to be there while the coaches meet to figure out what they're about to do in practice today or recruiting or whatever. Like the coaches have a lot going on. So two hours before you're out there helping. Then an hour before, usually the coaches would come down and, and do their own little workout or the guys who came in an hour before, two hours before, we try to, um, you know, stagger it. So you don't have 15 guys in there two hours before practice all trying to get shots up. You, know, you have two guys come in two hours before, two guys come in an hour and a half before and work it like that. And then once practice happens, just doing whatever needs to be done. So um Wiping up sweat on the floor if someone falls down. That's like something that you might have to do as a GA. Uh, making working the shock, the clock, you know, keeping score of different games that are happening in practice, as well as like having a baby be a body out there in case they need someone to like help out in a drill or um, uh, help with the coaches. Like if you go into stations and it's like, all right, we're going to work on defense here, they might be guarding you. And while you're helping them with drills, doing different things like that. Um, filming practice uh, while it's happening so that the coaches can then look at film that night right right after practice all of that's happening between the three of you and, and the undergrad managers as well um, so making sure all of that is, is ready to go after practice same thing some guys like to get extra shots up so you stay probably a half hour hour after practice um, help them get shots up and you, you clean up the gym whether you guys use pads for um, this, the drills during the gate uh, during the practice or um, needed something extra that day, clean it all up, make sure that the practice is on the um, coach's computer. And that's so say you practice at two, you'll be done by 3.30 or sorry, 4.35-ish, uh, 5.30, depending on how long practice went. And then at Northwestern, your classes are at night. So we would be done at five, five thirty, and I'd have class at seven downtown in downtown Chicago. So usually we get out of the, get out of practice at six, get out of the office at six, immediately hop in my car, take the train down to downtown Chicago, have class from six to nine thirty, and then drive back to uh, my apartment in Evanston, uh, be back around ten fifteen, ten thirty, and that's typical average day of a graduate assistant. So obviously we, we know the rewards. I mean, everybody knows what they're striving to when they're a GA. You know, when you were a GA, you obviously went through a lot of the day, but what was the biggest challenge for you? I think that this happened specifically my first year because my role was increased a lot my second year. So I didn't feel it as much, but the first year it's, it's tough to, feel like you're having a true impact on the program um and and you shouldn't feel that way but because especially for me i was a college athlete coming out of williams where we you know we we were had so much success and i was starting and i you know that comes with just confidence from myself 
Um, and then going to a place where you're back at the bottom of the totem pole and kind of have to start over again, doing menial tasks, you know, refilling the, the fridge if it needs more Gatorade or water or making sure, you know, a guy has a, a ride to practice because class gets out, got out late or something like that. And just feeling like, what am I, how am I really helping? Like all I'm doing is driving someone to practice or all I'm doing is, you know, hitting a guy with a pad when he shoots a layup or I'm cutting up these games. I don't even know if the coaches are watching them. You know, those kind of the thoughts creep through your mind for sure um, because of how, how low you feel sometimes on the totem pole. But uh, I think that a really cool benefit is the relationships you build with the assistant coaches. Like if you do what you're supposed to do and you, you prove to them that, you know, basketball and you'll, and if, even if you don't, you want to learn and you, you'll, you'll do anything to, to learn and get that, you know, talk with them through things you'll find out that you're helping the coaches and helping the program a lot more than you could ever think. Um, and, but it's hard because your first year there, you may not have that relationship with the assistant coach where he doesn't feel comfortable asking you to do X, Y, and Z, but by that second year, you guys are tight, you know, like you're, um, like you're hanging in the office, like just shooting the, you know, talking the breeze, whatever, uh, with your coaching staff and having a great time. And you feel like you're a part of the guys and, and that takes time, like with anything, like even a new assistant coach, a new director of basketball ops, you got to earn your respect, but the. The difference is as a GA, you're not part of the staff necessarily. Um, so you kind of feel that extra added weight of like, what am I, how am I really helping? Um, so that, that would be something that I struggled, not struggled with, but something that crept in my mind a lot my first year. But once, you know, kind of grasp, get, get around to knowing what was going on, felt a lot better about it. So the other thing in your answer that stood out to me was, and obviously you played too, but you didn't even get into all of it, but you're talking about guys are out there shooting two hours before practice and then they're going to practice and then they're shooting after practice. I, I don't think a lot of people realize that, you know, at any level, right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we had, we had coach Redeker on the other day, a Juco coach, and we were talking about the same thing, the, the, the difference in work. Can you take us through a little bit of that? Maybe kind of what you did. And then, you know, some things that at Northwestern of, of a day and I guess an athlete's life, right? You talked about the GA, but, but let's, let's yeah. look at the athletes. Cause I don't, I, I, I know that a lot of high school guys don't kind of realize that jump that you have to take. Yeah, for sure. And that's something that I actually talk about with the guys a lot, or what I did talk about with the guys a lot in Northwestern is I might have work like, so uh, to answer your question, me at Williams, the difference between high level division three and, you know, low to mid major division one is not that difference, but the freedom you have is very different, right? Like if I'm a very good division three basketball player, I don't have to do work that hard in the spring, summer, and fall. If I don't want to, like, there's no mandatory workouts. There's no, I'm not, I don't need to be with my coaches over the summer. I'll need to be with my coach in the fall, but a large portion of us do, you know, but there's still a difference between the workouts I was able to put myself through because either I had to work out with a teammate that wanted to, or just work out by myself and having, you know, call up a GA and have two guys come over and rebound for you whenever you want. Like that's, that's a huge difference in my mind where, yeah, I worked out, you know, I would wake up at six o'clock in the morning, get a ball handling workout in then before practice, get shots up after practice, you know, get more shots up. And, and I, I did all of that as a player because that's, that's the kind of effort I wanted to put into basketball. Um, 
but at the division three level, you don't have to, like they were teammates of mine. And, and I'm sure on any, any team, like there's people who work really hard and people who don't work as hard. That's totally fine. Just because you don't like that, like don't want to work out as hard doesn't mean that you're worse or better, but that's just the way things are. Um, but at the division one level, the difference is they can, they have it in the spring, they have it in the summer, they have it in the fall. It's nonstop, like 24, seven, 365 for the most part. Um, and you have just unlimited resources. Those resources, the best thing that you can do, like you can use a GA to rebound for you, you know, three times a day, and then you can go to the athletic training room and get treatment every single day for an hour or two hours, whatever you need. Then you can go to assistant coach and watch film with them and learn more about the game. Then you can, and there's all these different um, avenues to become a better basketball player. And with so many different resources that at the division three level, you, you don't have like the, the complaints you'll hear uh, at a high level division one school uh, from players about complaining about, you know, oh, I can't believe we have to do this. Can't believe we have to do this. I was like, guys, I, at Division three level, I went to the Final Four and I had to do 10 times more of that by myself without anyone helping me out with it because that's just the way, you know, the difference between Division three and Division one. All right, so perfect progression. Now let's talk about NBA, right? You said you worked the NBA Combine. You, you obviously saw elite level like top of their profession, even guys who are on the fringes, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're the best yeah. basketball players in the world. Um, so what were some of the things you saw them doing to get ready to play professionally, right? Cause that's the next step. You just talked about D3. We talked about D1. Now let's talk about, you know, those NBA guys. And obviously they have more resources as well, like another step up, but yeah, you know, they're also to get to that point, their work ethic and, and the things they do, you know, are also a step up. Yeah. I think that the, um, the, a major thing that about NBA professional athletes in general is efficiency. And I don't mean like shooting, like shooting efficiency, but just like efficiency in what they're doing. Um, I, I worked the NBA draft combine and I was able to be down in the NBA bubble as well for the playoffs last year. And the main difference that I saw is that like to an extent, Shooting, getting your reps in, I should say, will obviously make you a much better basketball player, like getting more shots up, doing all that. But there is a point where it's like, all right, I need to take a deep breath. I just got up a thousand shots in, you know, a half an hour, an hour. I'm not going to just keep going for three hours and shoot for 3000 shots. And I think that that's where in the NBA, the efficiency at what they do when, when they know what their body can handle. They have people telling them exactly what their body can handle. They're, they have people telling them like, all right, you, this is how you're going to get, this is what you need to get better at. And this is how you're going to get better at it. And kind of having that um, efficiency with their workouts, with their work ethic, just really propels them to a, a whole different level, you know? Um, and, and just being, having all like, again, those resources just really can propel different players and, and the athleticism is unbelievable. I remember I was one of my jobs at the draft combine was watching the max vert. And that was just so much fun to watch. Just they, those guys are just so, so athletic. Um, and it, it's funny to see them trying to get to where they want to be. And just, it was, it was really interesting, you know, like, like anything, some guys are joking around about it and 
having a good time and some guys are not talking to anyone and being really serious. But um, yeah, I think the taking it to that next level is, is the efficiency part, just like making sure you're getting the most out of the time that you do have on the court and, and really growing your game with the amount of time that makes sense for you. So uh, I feel like every question we ask him now, Todd, he's going to say that he was uh, some fact we didn't know, but we saw that you were 43% from the three point line in college. And obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the easy answer is just what makes a great shooter repetition mechanics, all those things, but take us through the process of what you think makes a good shooter in a game besides just repetition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that some of the obvious answers are like, you want to try to shoot the same shot every time, that kind of stuff, but mentality, I think, I think that people don't understand the mental side of shooting or, or to the extent that how important it is. Um, like you look at it with free throws, how can a guy who shoots, you know, so many threes, unbelievable, but steps to the free throw line and might shoot like 75%, you know, which is still good, but like, or 65, 70% from the free throw line. It's all a mentality. You have to, in order to become a great shooter, to get over that hump, um, you have to just have supreme confidence in yourself. And that's why reps help a lot, obviously, besides like the physical nature of getting muscle memory, when you for a lot of people, when you get up the reps, you build confidence. Like, Hey, I put the work in. I know that I can make the shot. I know I can do this. Um, but whatever it takes to take that mental jump and be like, no, I am a good shooter. I'm going to make every shot that I shoot. Um, and that's, a, that's another, um, thing with that. The mental side is like, some people shoot shots because they feel like they're open and they should shoot it. And then there's some people who shoot shots because they think they're going to make every shot they shoot. Um, and that sounds kind of funky, uh, but it's something that I really struggled with in high school and, and got a lot better at in college is making sure, making sure every shot counts. Like when you shoot it, you should every single time think this ball is going in and if not, you shouldn't be shooting it. Um, but that mental aspect of it, I think is, is so, so key, um, to becoming a great shooter. All right. So now let's go to your non-playing profession professional side your 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 nine to five job right uh <laughs> you're, you're working with v reps um this is kind of multi-part question but you know you can kind of all lump it into one and, and just just tell us about v reps but your guys mission at v reps um you know what you guys are trying to do for the game of basketball and help the game of basketball and then just a little bit about the software and, and you know the the app and all, and all that good stuff yeah for sure um, so yeah, so now I work for VREPS. It's been a little bit over a year. Um, and it's short for virtual repetitions and, and we try to do exactly that. So, um, our basic, uh, aspect that we, that we do right now is, is basically trying to give coaches a better communication with their players, um, being able to coach while they're off the court. So we are basically draw software that you draw a 2d play on your computer the way you know with x's nose um and then we turn those 2d drawings into 3d animated players running through the plays um and you can watch it on your phone your ipad tablet uh however you on the computer however you want to do it and basically our, our main the way it started was we wanted to teach have a way that players could learn the plays better than walking 
threw it on the court. You know, you're not always one person may not know the plays as well as the other four players. And the other four players aren't always going to have the time to sit there and walk it through it with that guy who can't seem to figure out the play. So that's kind of how we designed it. That's where it started. And you can use our app to play through it like a video game. So now you draw the 2D plays, you watch it on your on your phone, and then a, a virtual joystick pops up and you literally control that any player you want on the court and have to make them run through the plays that the coach just drew. So now instead of just watching film, you're actually going through it yourself, um, which is just takes that learning aspect to a whole new level. Like when you're watching something, it helps, but when you're actually doing it yourself, like psychologically, when you're actually doing something, you learn, you just learn better in general. Um, and then you can add options to our plays. So this is another really cool function and, and comes back to our actual mission of we just want to make basketball easier to learn for everyone. Like we think that in certain areas of the country, certain areas of the world, um, there's not a huge amount of people who necessarily know the game of basketball. You might know players who are super talented, but just never had a coach growing up who could teach them in the game of basketball. Um, and we want to be able to do that and, and be a tool for players who are trying to learn. So we have this options that you can put in. So now if I draw a ball screen, I can draw that the defense one time hedges and I can draw that the defense one time does a low drop. And then I can draw the defense one time switches. And then going back to playing it like a video game, the player can go into it and play it like a video game, be the point guard or be the ball handler coming off the ball screen. And you can make the, you can, you don't know what the defense is going to do. They might hedge, they might switch, they might drop, and then they have to make the correct read, make the right pass um, and learn while they're playing like a video game on their phone and and with you know kids in general being more and more apt to learn visually on video games and use playing xbox playstation all growing up that kind of stuff um it's it's been very very helpful with the teams that we've worked with so far all right so um i guess i guess what is the benefit then for um, you know, how, how can coaches in their everyday practices and things like that in that incorporated, right? We, we have the technology. How, yeah. how would you best see them put in their, um, put it into, put it into practice, I guess. Yeah, yeah for sure. So, uh, what, so we're, we're working with, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Howard University men's basketball team and Michigan state women's basketball team as of last year. And that was the first year we sold and it was during a pandemic like sold our product and that was during a pandemic. So obviously, uh, but what most of those yes, teams, sorry, what most of those teams um, used it for uh, were either to learn the plays or to learn the reads. So if I'm a coach um, and say I have seven plays that I put in for my team and if they switch or if they hedge, we're going to run a play differently. Now the, the coach can draw those different options based on what the defense does and now I can not only learn where I'm supposed to be on the court, but also learn the different reads. And I think that for high school and youth level players, that's really important because I remember when I was in high school, there was a lot of times where I felt like I was running the play because the coach called the play and not running the play to get the end result of getting a good shot, which is why coaches put plays in to get a good shot. Um, and this kind of helps you learn those plays faster where it's like, all right, I did it 20 times last night on the phone, sitting in bed. When they hedge, 
you know, I'm going to take one more dribble and hit the, the other guy coming up from the corner, or I'm going to hit the roll on a bounce pass on a quick slip pass or whatever that read is. And now they've went through it and done it, you know, 10, 15 times. And next time I practice, instead of thinking about, uh, you know, all right, I set the screen and then I come off this screen and I need to be here for this play. It's, oh, wait, I saw the defense did this. I'm going to make the correct read and, and maybe score now. Um, and, and being able to actually teach them not only where to be, but why you're doing certain things. So we have a quizzing feature as well, where coaches can put in questions where a question pops up and it says, hey, what, what defender should you be looking at for this offensive read? And then the player will select the answer. And then the coach, if they got it right or got it wrong, the coach can put in their own explanation. You should have been looking at player X because if he stays with your man, then you're passing it here. And if he doesn't, then you're going to drive the link. And now as a player, it's, you're not feeling like I keep running these plays. I don't know what I'm supposed to be looking for, why I'm doing these certain reads. Now you get that why aspect of it. Now you understand what the coach is looking for. So now instead of all right, uh, on this play, I'm running to the corner and then I'm running up to the wing. It's all right, on this play, I'm running to the corner, but if the defense is guarding me like this, I might cut back door. And being able to add that level of sophistication um, and, and learning to it on, on an app on your phone is has been really, really useful for a lot of different coaches. So obviously we're the After the Timeout podcast and you know we would like to ask things related to a timeout, but I want we wanted to make it unique kind of towards you for, you know, your playing experience. So thinking about timeouts as an athlete, what were things you were looking for from a coach in a timeout? So like when you broke the timeout, what were you looking to have in your mind? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think that in the timeout, when I was a player, uh, the thing I was looking for the most was like, I think that a lot of coaches or some coaches harp on what happened. Um, and as a player, I really wanted to know what we were going to do next. Like in my eyes, learning from the play before uh, or what happened three plays ago isn't as important as what our plan is for the next three plays when you're in the heat of the moment and heat of game. So I always liked it the most when a coach would come in and whether it was, if it was something good, obviously, you know, be like, Oh, it's a great job, blah, blah, blah. But like take, you know, say you have a minute timeout, take 10 seconds, 15 seconds to go over what may have just happened. Something might be, hey, we're going to switch this now, blah, blah, blah. But going forward, all right, what are we going to do for the next two minutes before the next timeout, or the next five minutes before the next timeout um, in order to continue to win the game or to climb back or to do whatever needs to be done? I think that always looking to what's going to happen next and being positive in that vein was really important for me as a player because it kept me focused on, on what's happening and not me worrying about, ah, I messed up three plays ago and now coach is yelling at me about it. Now I'm all in my head about it. Instead, it's just like, hey, this is what we're doing now and this is how we're going to make our adjustments and, and win the game. Okay, so we like to do a top five at the end. Um, and, and you've ex you've been through every level, every experience, your family, um, you, you know, you've dropped some nuggets on us here along the way. Um, your top five takeaways, regardless of, of level throughout your experiences that, that make a basketball team successful because you've played at successful levels. Uh, you, you, you know, your family's been successful, you know, obviously at, at Northwestern um, and even in the NBA. So what, what makes a team successful? 
Yeah. Um, I think a clear mess, uh, like a clear vision, um, just kind of like anything, even in business, you know, like having that, like, what is our, why, what is, what is this mission statement? What are we trying to do? Um, and I think that goes for just a general statement of like, we want to play hard and, you know, have like, just play hard and, and really focus on defense. Like, I think that having that, um, I'm missing the word here, but like something you can hang your hat on as a team and knowing exactly what that is, is really helpful. Cause that, that helps keep everyone on the same page. Like you see it with, um, a lot of different teams, like the Miami heat, for instance, like, you know, every single time they step on the floor, they're going to play really, really hard. They're going to play, they're going to play together and they're going to, you know, they have that, like the Miami heat, every time they're walking in, you know, exactly what's going to happen. And, and them having that combined goal and that vision helps you stay in line, you know, like helps, you know, who you are, helps you become what they have become. And then having that one, you know, specific thing that a team can hang their hat on is I think really, really helpful. Um, clear line of communication is also great transparency. Like, uh, with the, the great teams that I've been on the coach telling me, you know, who, like what's happening, for instance, I'll never forget this. My freshman year, um, came in and I dropped my last nugget on you guys, which I did before, but, um, Duncan Robinson was my, uh, roommate. Um, he plays for Miami heat now, but so my coach never started a freshman before ever going into my freshman year. And I thought that I was going to be the first one. Um, and then Duncan was starting and I, and I wasn't starting. And at that time I was a, an 18 year old who didn't, who thought he was awesome and going to play basketball in college. So when that happened, I was upset. And the, the first, before the first game, say the day before the first game, my head coach came up to me, Mike Maker. Um, and he said, Hey, Mike, I just want you to know you're going to be the second guard that comes off the bench for tonight's game. Like, I think that you're capable of a lot better than that, but you haven't proven that or shown that in practice yet. And I can't do that to the guys just based off my hunch. You have to prove to everyone, not just me, that you've earned a spot to play and be the first person off the bench, um, for this game. And as hearing that as a player, you know, it hurts, but at least he came up to me and told me, Hey, this is how it's going to be. This is why it's going to be like this. And like, we can talk about it. And I think that was huge for me as a player, just having that transparency, like knowing like, okay, he didn't think I did enough in practice. Like I'll go out there and I'll show him how to, what, what I'm capable of in practice and, and have that communication, I think is huge. And it gets the players to trust you. From that point on, I knew Coach Maker was going to tell me what he was thinking and, and why he was thinking it. He didn't hold back from what was happening. And he did it in a very, you know, he didn't do it in front of the team, pulled me aside and told me so like I could, you know, internalize it. But just having that kind of transparency between players, between coaches, I think is really, really awesome and, and makes a team, you know, kind of take that next step because the chemistry is there. You trust each other and, and trust is, is a really big part of it. I've been on teams where the trust wasn't there. And it's really easy for that one thing to not be there and, and things start to crumble. Um, so I think those are the, the two main points I'll say. I don't want to drag on anymore, but um, just transparency and trust and then something to hang your hat on. Well, Coach, we greatly appreciate you joining us tonight. We were uh, really looking forward to your episode. You provide a, a unique viewpoint just in working in all the different kinds and, and levels of basketball and and so we, we, again, we really appreciate you being on and giving us time this evening. 
No, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the After the Timeout podcast. For more information and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast by searching After the Timeout. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time for more basketball content on the court, off the court, and everything in between.